Hi, you're listening to the Adult Sabbath School lesson, and this week we're looking at Lesson 10, An Exciting Way to Get Involved. Now, this is a a series uh, this quarter called Making Friends for God, The Joy of Sharing in His Mission. And I kind of like that title, Making Friends for God. That sounds like a pleasant activity to be involved in. And then the subtitle, The Joy of Sharing in His Mission. And I think that one of the greatest joys of the Christian faith, one of the greatest experiences in the Christian life, is the joy of sharing in his mission, the joy of seeing someone else come to Christ um, that you have been praying for, that you've been walking with, that you've been working for, that you've been studying with, uh, seeing that person uh, changed by the Holy Spirit as you see the Holy Spirit at work in their hearts. This is one of the greatest joys, I think of the the Christian walk. So in this series of studies, Making Friends for God, we're we're looking at Lesson 10, an exciting way to get involved. And this lesson really is all about small groups. And uh, as the uh, title points out, it's a way in which we can get involved in sharing the gospel in uh, a non-threatening environment. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in a moment. The memories text for this week is Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, and this is Jesus speaking. It says, Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here Jesus looks out at the world and he says to his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Sometimes we might be tempted to look at our community, to look at our country uh, and say it's it's so secular, uh, people are maybe not interested in religion, Um, it's just a a hopeless cause. Uh, But Jesus would look at the same world and have a different pair of glasses on. He would look at the world through uh, salvation glasses and he would say, The harvest is plentiful, but it is the laborers that are few. And that's a different perspective. And then he says the the solution for that, he says, therefore, pray. You know, I've uh, sometimes thought, you know, the solution to getting more laborers is to to make an appeal at church for for more laborers to work in the harvest or to try and, you know, um, make people feel guilty about not being involved in the gospel work. Um, We need more laborers. Uh, But it's interesting that Jesus' solution there is pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest because it's only God that can inspire. It's only God that can convict the heart and the soul really to to go out and be a witness for him. It's, It's when we receive that joy of salvation that we want to share it with others and it's God that does that so we can pray the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers. Well, the lesson points out in Sunday that small groups is really, it says God's idea first, and it points out the fact that we believe in a God of three persons, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were together at work in the process of creation. And the Bible also reveals that they are together at work in the plan of salvation. And, uh, you know, God exists in a relationship and that is, 
you know, fascinating to think about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that they, that the, the God exists in three persons in that relationship. And so uh, that, that we were made in his image, we were made in the image of God. And it's no uh, coincidence that when God created humanity, he created the male and female and then said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, make more of your kind, make, make uh, children in your image. Um, there's that interesting phrase in uh, chapter two of, two of Genesis where God has created paradise and he places man in that paradise. But then he says it is not good for man to be alone. And uh, of course, eventually uh, God uh, causes Adam to, to go into a deep sleep and, and forms Eve. And then they uh, form the first family and they, they form the first for small group, really, once they've had children. Um, they form the first small group. It's interesting, too, to think about how uh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit are also credited with the resurrection of Jesus. So it's interesting to, to think about that. So in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, it says, therefore, my father loves, this is Jesus speaking. He says, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. So here Jesus is saying he's the one who lays down his life. He's the one who takes it up again. But another verse, Romans 8, 11, it says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead here credits the Holy Spirit, with raising Jesus from the dead. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 15, it says, we have testified of God that he raised up Christ. So here we see various verses in regards to the resurrection of Jesus that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved. Um, and so God is working through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the salvation of man and even in the resurrection of Jesus. Of course, God's main aim is to save people. We read that in 1 Timothy 2.4, that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's plan. That's why Jesus came, right? To seek and to save that which was lost. Um, in 2 Peter 3.9, we're told that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God is active, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, active in the plan of salvation. If we look at uh, small groups in the scriptures, um, there was the illustration on Monday's lesson about uh, Jethro, who was uh, Moses' father-in-law. And just be before the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, we find Moses overwhelmed with the numbers of people that are coming to him for judgment, for uh, to make uh, decisions about important things. And uh, Jethro... Moses' father-in-law says to him, you know, this, this is too many, too much for you. You, you should uh, organize uh, these people and set leaders over them. And, and uh, he tells him what to do. And, and then it tells us in, Moses, in um, Exodus chapter 18, verse 25, it says, And Moses chose able men of, out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And I think that's interesting that there were people who had responsibility for 10 other people. 
And that is like a small group um, that they would have meet together. They would discuss problems and solve them. They would be um, able to nurture one another. They would grow together. The relationship between these different uh, people of God would, would grow as a group. And I find that uh, interesting that Moses had that practice. And then, of course, Jesus in the New Testament, we find that Jesus called 12. And you can find this in uh, Luke 6, Matthew 10, Mark 3 talks about the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles and um, Jesus chose that group and it's, it's interesting uh, the lesson noted small groups provide opportunities for warm caring fellowship spiritual growth and problem solving it is fascinating that small group specialists tell us that the ideal size for group interaction is between 6 and 12 people this is ex the exact size that both Moses and Jesus employed in forming their groups. Of course, the purpose of Jesus' small groups was both spiritual nurture and outreach. When we think about uh, small groups in the New Testament, we, we have an interesting uh, illustration that Paul uses in Tuesday's lesson. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was writing to the church at Corinth and uh, he was writing about how they should work together for the benefit of all. And um, I'm going to read a passage here. This is First uh, Corinthians 12 from, from verse 12 to 25, because I think it's very insightful here. It says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ for by one spirit. We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have, have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am an eye, sorry, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. Then the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, this is verse 22 now. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, on these we bestow greater honour. And our unrepresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honour to that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism, that means no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And so here Paul is using the illustration of a human body as a model, if you like, for the church and how the church works together. And you think about this, you know, if you want to go someplace, you are reliant on your feet and your legs to take you there. If you want to eat, you know, you rely on your hands to put the food in your mouth. You need your mouth to chew the food and then 
you know, swallow that food and he gets digested in the pot. Everything has to work together. Uh, otherwise, you're going to go hungry. If your hands decide, no, I'm not going to cooperate, or your mouth decides, no, I'm not going to cooperate. It doesn't matter how hungry the stomach feels. I'm not going to eat. I've, I've decided not to eat. And you wouldn't survive, obviously. And so the members of the body have to cooperate together. And small groups is a way in which we can cooperate together um, in smaller groups where we can get involved in ministry. We can actually learn about ministry in a small group, um, which is, you know, a lot more practical, a lot more comfortable to do than to come into a, a large church. Uh, even from the point of view of outreach, uh, which we'll talk about in a moment, but just the idea that if you were to invite somebody to a church that they'd never been to, or you were, in, you were to invite them to your home, they're far more likely to be comfortable coming to your home if, with a personal invitation than maybe coming to a church where they don't know anybody because a home is just a more warm, small, friendly, more friendly environment. It's more uh, of a normal environment for people who perhaps may not be used to going to church. Ellen White underlines the value of small groups in these words. She says, The formation of small companies as a basis of Christian effort has been presented to me by one who cannot err. If there is a large number in the church, let the members be formed into small companies to work not only for the church members, but for unbelievers. If, one, if in one place there are only two or three who know the truth, let them form themselves into a band of workers. Let them keep their bond of union unbroken, pressing together in love and unity, encouraging one another to advance, each gaining courage and strength from the assistance of the others. Now, obviously, in the current pandemic of coronavirus, church has been greatly affected. Some churches are meeting because they can have up to a certain capacity in their church. Other, other churches may be so large that they still can't meet because the capacity is uh, less than the number of persons who would normally attend that church. But I think if you think of ministry in terms of, certainly outreach ministry, in terms of three types of evangelism, you have personal evangelism, small group evangelism, and public evangelism. Well, public evangelism has really been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, most of public evangelism at the moment is taking place by digital means, whereas small group and personal evangelism still can take place. You can still have a small group of people at your home um, by your own invitation. And uh, I think that that is a way in which our church can still continue to extend the mission of Christ, to continue to grow the kingdom of God through small groups uh, in homes. But it takes people desiring to lead out in such groups. It takes people desiring to host groups in their home. It takes people desiring to be a part of a small group to uh, for nurture and for outreach. Well, when we come to the New Testament church, you know, the New Testament church didn't, have, didn't own any large buildings. Of course, the disciples would go sometimes to the synagogues to meet Jewish believers and, and to meet with them and to share the good news with them. But so often 
uh, they would be meeting in the homes of individuals. And uh, sometimes we read about this in Acts chapter 18, 1 through 5. It says, uh, Luke records these words. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, um, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And uh, a little home was set up there, or a little church, I guess, was set up there in the home of Aquila and Priscilla. And we find uh, other names mentioned that Paul was working with uh, in, in Acts chapter 20. And in fact, um, I want to read to you in Acts 2020. We're living in 2020, of course. And in Acts 2020, Paul gives us a prescription, if you like, of the ministry that he is um, participating in. In Acts 2020, he says, Remember that I how I kept back nothing that was helpful for you, uh, but I proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So Paul would teach publicly. He would teach from house to house. And it's that house-to-house -house ministry, that small group ministry, uh, that can be so vital. Now, I found in my experience of uh, leading, helping people to discover Christ and leading some people to Christ, that when I'm engaged with in personal conversation, in Bible studies, I might do that for a little while, but it's good to be able to invite that individual to a small group where they can meet a handful of other people, get to learn some other, to, to know some other Christians learn in a non-threatening environment, feel more comfortable to be able to ask questions um, and just have social conversation. You know, if you think of uh, a Sabbath school class, maybe as a small group, that is a, a Sabbath school's class is a, a spiritual group uh, that has a social element. But a small home group, I would say, is a social group that has a spiritual element. And there's a, a, a subtle but notable difference there. When you've got a social group, it's just a lot more friendly. It's a lot more social interaction. Yes, there's the, the spiritual element there, but it's within the context of the relationships that are growing in that small group. just want to share with you some small group benefits that I have found as I have participated in small groups. And I think about my own journey. When I first came to Christ, uh, I was led to Christ by a friend, by an individual uh, with whom I used to do Bible studies and uh, learn things about God. And then that formed into a small group of about half a dozen people in his house. Um, and that became a stepping stone to then me at last eventually going to the church building. But it would probably not have occurred that I, I would have gone to that church building without the benefit of that small group. That small group helped me to grow uh, personally and spiritually in the relationship I had with my uh, fellow Christians um, even before I went to the church. So the nurturing of members is one element of a small group. It's It's easy to be able to get to know people more when you spend time in a small group and maybe... As Seventh-day Adventists, we haven't always enthusiastically embraced small groups. 
Uh, and I'm thinking in the last few decades, certainly if you look at early Christianity, you can see small groups being used there by Jesus and by the other disciples. Certainly in early Adventism, we've already read that quote from Ellen White, where she talks about forming small companies, small groups. And so somehow we, we, we in certain parts of our church, we seem to have dropped the ball and, and perhaps there are less of us involved in small groups than, than maybe might be the case. And I just want to encourage you to think about leading out a small group or think about having your home be the uh, venue for a small group or asking your pastor, how can I be a part of a small group? So some of the small group benefits we were talking about, the nurture of members. People get to know each other better when they spend time with one another. Um, and sometimes perhaps we don't want people to get to know us better. You know, if, if people get to know me too well, they'll start to notice that I've got some flaws. Or maybe I might share the fact that I've been struggling with some flaws and I need God's help. And and uh, this is the kind of support that we can provide to one another. The nurture of members is a great benefit of small group ministry. Uh, a second benefit is it fosters more intimate conversation. I mentioned this before. People are more willing to share. Uh, you certainly get to know people better. Maybe people can share their testimony of how they came to Christ, what life was like before they came to Christ, how they came to Christ, and what life is like now that they are walking with Christ. These things can be shared in a small group. And um, another third benefit uh, we're, we're less judgmental when we know people. You know, it is interesting. We have a tendency when we first see somebody, when they walk into the room or maybe when they walk into the church, we kind of weigh people up based on uh, how they look, how they walk, what their clothes they're wearing. We're, we're fairly um, quick to judge a person, even though we don't really know them. And when we do get to know people, we, we understand their walk, we understand their background, we understand what challenges they've gone through. Uh, we can be a lot less judgmental, we, we're a lot more accepting of people. And this is one of the benefits of small groups, is the opportunity that we have to get to know people and to be less judgmental. Small groups, of course, would most ideally take place in homes. I think that that's always preferential. You know, you might decide that you're going to meet as a small group on a Tuesday night at church. But, you know, churches can sometimes be cold places. And yes, you put the heater on, but they start out cold, whereas homes are all, you know, often warmed already. And they're just more homely because they are homes. That's where people live and other people live in homes. So going to a home is, is not as threatening. So in homes is the best place for small groups. Hospitality can be provided. They're warm, friendly environment, informal. People don't feel like they've got to behave in a super religious way to be in somebody's home. And so I think that there are benefits uh, to, to using the home for the small group location. A fifth benefit is we can learn of people's needs, their joys and their struggles as we share with one another, we get to know people's lives and we can learn about what makes them tick. We can learn what they really get excited about. We can learn about what makes them happy. We can learn too about what challenges they have in their life. 
and we can think about how we as other small group members, other church members, how we might meet the needs of others and say, you know what, we could help this person. And so uh, we can learn of people's needs, joys and struggles in the small group. A sixth benefit of small groups is we can pray for and meet people's needs. So you could go around the room at the end of a small group meeting and say, are there any prayer needs? Do we know of anybody who has a need uh, that we would like to pray for? And uh, we can pray for that person. So I think that, you know, there there are real benefits uh, to doing that. And then we can pray for those needs. And then when people come back the next week and say, how is, you know, Bill, how's he doing? We we prayed for him last week. How's things going? And uh, it provides an opportunity to focal point for, for prayer needs. A seventh small group benefit will be it makes visitation a whole lot easier, right? So if you have a handful between six, maybe 10 people coming to your home on a weekly basis, they're all coming to you. You can keep in touch with them. You don't have to go and visit individually each of those persons to catch up with them. They're they're coming to your home. And so I think from an elder's point of view, uh, this would be a real good benefit of small groups that you can have people come to you each week and you can minister to them in that small group. An eighth benefit of small groups, uh, we can learn how to participate in a non-threatening environment. Maybe somebody who's been coming to the small group, maybe they've never prayed out loud before. And uh, as the weeks go by and they hear other people praying, they might be invited to pray and they might feel that they can pray in a group of five or six or seven people, whereas they might never think about praying out loud in front of a, a crowd of 50 or 100 people. And so small group is a real way, a great way of introducing people to um, ways of participating in ministry in a very small scale way that enables them to gain experience and confidence uh, then to be able to, to uh, minister in bigger ways in, in, to a larger audience in, in the future. Another ninth small group benefit, it is easier to invite others to this non-threatening environment. We talked about that before when we're talking about outreach. Maybe you set up a small group for the purpose of outreach and you may have four, five, six people and we say, okay, we want to meet together. We want to grow this group. We want to bring people to this group. We want to help them find Christ. And you can be be able to you know pray for individuals and then you can say okay let's pray and let's see who can be the first person to successfully invite somebody to the small group and so uh like i said before inviting somebody to a home is a lot less threatening for them than inviting them to a church especially if they're not used to going to church a tenth small group benefit is Growth can take place in the small group, both spiritually and numerically. So you may start out with a handful of people, but you can plan on adding people one by one, right? Just one person at a time, adding to that group, growing the group numerically. But people grow over time as you study the word, as you share your experience, as you pray for for others in that group, people grow spiritually as well. And so the growth takes place in small groups. I've seen it happen. I find that small groups are an accelerator for people in their journey towards baptism. 
If you're doing Bible studies with somebody, you bring them along to the small group. They become part of that small group for a few weeks, a few months. Uh, it makes it very much more easy for them to say, yes, I want to be baptized. Yes, I want to join this church because I already know a handful of members that I meet with each week. Number 11 on the small group benefits list, a social group with a spirit, with spiritual content. And uh, if you ideally, if you could have a small group that meets in a home and has a spiritual element and that same group could meet for Sabbath school, uh, that would be a real blessing, I think. And so I think there are many small group benefits. I want to encourage you to think about being part of a small group, whether that is leading out in a small group, whether that is being the host for a small group because you have a home that would allow that to occur, or just being a member of a small group. I have been a member of many small groups, and I have uh, really been blessed by the small group experience. And my hope is that we will take uh, seriously the the challenge of the lesson there to to uh, be able to participate in small groups for the purpose of nurture and for outreach, and that in participating we will see the church grow, we'll see the church grow spiritually, we'll see the church grow numerically. Thank you for listening to this uh, lesson study this week. Let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God to bless. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you want for us to participate with you in the plan of salvation. We want to thank you that not only can we minister to others as individuals, but we can minister to others in small groups too. Please bless us, Lord, as we seek by your grace to minister to others in small groups and to take seriously uh, the charge of Jesus that the harvest truly is plentiful but it is the labourers that are few. We are praying, Lord, the Lord of the harvest, to send out more labourers into the field. I pray that you will consider being a part of a small group and then praying for people that you can bring to that small group, that they can grow in Christ and be saved. May God bless you as you continue to uh, walk with Jesus. Thank you for listening to this uh, message about the lesson this week. And... Uh, yeah, become a part of a small group and may God bless you as you do.